When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're making an ad. Napping ad. This is where I think if we're doing it right, Alec Baldwin comes in. He says a couple things. Mm. He listens to the podcast every week. Has he been canceled? Was Alec Baldwin the one who killed somebody? I hear that Gary Sinise is free. Oh, okay, great. He hasn't worked since 2020. (laughs) So um, what would be the script that we would have Gary Sinise say for the Napping Through Happy Hour podcast? Listen to this damn show. Damn it. The Napping Through Happy Hour podcast brought to you by Geekscape. Real life, real drama, real time. I'm Gary Sinise. That's the ad. That's the ad. That's the ad. We're here to entertain you. We'll sing your songs for good times, the best times, you can't go wrong. We'll two-step, a new step, it won't be long. When the Dixieland's are playing, soon you'll be swaying, so come on, sing along. Hello and welcome to another episode of Before My Time. I am your host, Gelsey Laurie, and today we're going to talk about the life, career, the sadness, the happiness, the death of Marilyn Monroe. We're making an ad. Napping ad. This is where I think if we're doing it right, Alec Baldwin comes in. He says a couple things. Mm -hmm. He listens to the podcast every week. Has he been canceled? Was Alec Baldwin the one who killed somebody? I hear that Gary Sinise is free. Oh, okay, great. He hasn't worked since 2020. <laughs> so, um, what would be the script that we would have Gary Sinise say for the Napping Through Happy Hour podcast? Listen to this damn show. Damn it. The Napping Through Happy Hour podcast brought to you by Geekscape. Real life, real drama, real time. I'm Gary Sinise. That's the ad. That's the ad. That's the ad. Do you like to laugh, geek out on music, and learn all about that band or artist who had that one song back in the day, but then seemed to fall off the face of the earth? If so, you need to subscribe to One Hit Thunder. Together with an array of interesting and hilarious guests, we do a weekly dive into one-hit wonders like Eiffel 65's Blue, Crayshon's Gucci Gucci, EMF's Unbelievable, Delamitri's Roll to Me, Los Del Rio's Macarena, Musical Youth's Past the Duchy, and even Patrick Swayze's She's Like the Wind. So are you subscribed to One Hit Thunder or what? As Desiree would say, you gotta be. And as K7 would encourage, you gotta come baby come and join in on the fun of the One Hit Thunder podcast. All right, Kelsey. So Netflix is dropping a Marilyn Monroe biopic called Blondie. Yeah, they are. And we've talked about her because y'all did a Some Like It Hot episode, but 
there's so much more, so much more to Marilyn Monroe than just that movie. Yes. I mean, that that is, I've said it many times, Some Like It Hot is not only my favorite Marilyn Monroe movie, it might be one of my all-time favorite movies ever. And if you want to go back and check out that episode, it's super fun. But yeah, you know, it's, there's so much more to her in the fact that like when I was doing the deeper research, I've, I've read books on Marilyn Monroe since I was a child. I've, looking over at my bookshelf now, have like five sitting there. I need to reread them. It's been a long time. But there's so many things to talk about with her that even doing this research and kind of collecting the the basic info, I was like, we're not even going to be able to scratch the surface because there's she's just such a complex person, character, story, ideal, theme, all, all of the things. And it's – yeah, I'm really curious to see how this movie goes because one of my favorite Marilyn biopic movies that um, I watched as a kid was Norma Jean and Marilyn – and that's with Ashley Judd and Mina Servino. Is that her name? Mina Servino. I love her. It's one of my favorite movies too. But um, and it was really cool how they did it because Ashley Judd plays quote unquote Norma Jean. And then when she transforms into Marilyn Monroe, then that's when Mina Servino plays her. Yeah. And she has this like Ashley Judd as the Norma Jean character will come and visit Marilyn and she'll be in the room with her. So you have like the two women talking to each other, and it's kind of that inner voice past self that's driving her. And I love, love, love how they did it. And um, I actually can relate to that. I remember when I saw it, I was like, that's exactly how my brain works. And I kind of split into two people when I talk to myself and criticize myself, if you will. But I love that. So I'm really curious to see how they do it. I also just watched the Netflix uh, documentary, The the Tapes. Hang yes. on, let me get the actual name of this. I didn't expect to yeah, I, bring that up. Um and I watched those the other day. Well, not the other day. When they first dropped a few months ago, I checked that out. Um, I probably should revisit it. Oh, The Mystery of Marilyn Monroe, The Unheard yeah. Tapes. Yeah, they just dropped 2022. I just watched it last week, and it was really – I mean, I laid on the couch and just binged it, and I was like, this is so good. And it, it was really sad, but I, I highly recommend everyone watching it. You kind of get a deeper dive onto you know, her whole life, but more focusing on the end and the actual death and what happened and this guy that's investigating – all these things and, and calling people in the 80s and really getting true testimonies of things don't line up with what we were told of, you know, how she died and the timeline of everything. And it's it's still very not answered. <laughs> yeah, no. And actually, it's funny. I'm looking at her Wikipedia page and just I wanted to look at her filmography page. And I don't know why in my brain, mm -hmm. I always think of Marilyn Monroe as like, almost like the female James Dean. You know what I mean? Like three movies and then they were out. Mm. She had a massive acting no. career. Like, <laughs> like Yeah, she has a lot of a lot of movies. The ones in the beginning are obviously they're like smaller bit parts. No, she's she's got quite a few. So much so that as big of a fan as I was growing up and and still am, there's a handful that I've never saw. Yeah, like in my brain it was like Oh, yeah, no, she, you know, if, if you were to ask me, I'd be like, well, she came onto the scene and gentlemen prefer blondes. And it's like, no, there was about 15 movies mm -mm. before that one. Like, I imagine, I don't know why I've always in my head thought of her as that person where it was like, she only did three or four movies, but they were all hits the same way. Like, again, you look at James Dean's career and it's like, dude did three movies, but they were like three massive films and his very short lived career. Right. But no, there was a ton. There was a there was many, many movies. And I think uh, contrary to popular belief and I, even to her strife, she had a lot, big problem with this. It's everyone thinks of her and you think back of any movie you could think of her image. And she's constantly portrayed as the dumb blonde and kind of was known to fub her lines on set, be late, kind of be a mess. She's on uppers and downers. And 
and just the sex symbol, which don't get me wrong, she was and still is one of the most iconic sex symbols and bombshell, but she kind of got played to this, me, I don't know, kind of, you know, thing where she was starting off as a very dramatic actress and got a lot of praise for her dramatic work and then was kind of going back to that in the end when unfortunately they they filmed the misfits and she she didn't make it to the end of that yeah. but um she was a good dramatic actress and she really put her time and work into it and wanted to be the best but i think that not being good enough for herself was you know a part of the cocktail of her downfall no i think that that's that's very valid. So let's let's go back to the beginning though, because she before she was an actress was a model, yeah. correct? She was, yeah. She was actually. Um, let's go even further okay. back. Let's go back to the very beginning. A very good. So we're going all the way back to she Nor- was born Norma Jean before Norma Jean <laughs> Baker. Yeah. She was born in uh, L.A. County Hospital, June first, nineteen twenty-six. If those of you who didn't know that she was Norma Jean. Before Marilyn Monroe, now you know what that Elton John song is all about. Yeah. Goodbye, and Norma, Norma Jean. Jean. Yeah, it's all about it's about our Marilyn. So she's born Norma Jean. Um, she didn't know her father, but she had a picture of him, and he looked a lot like Clark Gable to her. And so she always used to watch Clark Gable in movies and pretend like that was her dad and had this kind of crush on him, if you will, but it was more of a fatherly crush, which I, I can completely understand that I – can relate. It's like a weird thing, but it's not that she ended up getting to work with Clark Gable, you know, in the misfits and later in her years. And, and she talks about, I read, she has an autobiography called my story. And so it's through her own words. And she kind of talks about this admiration and love for Clark Gable. And it is a crush, but it's not sexual. You know, it's kind of that again, father, daughter dynamic and love, but her mother, Gladys Baker, she was kind of a mess. She had mental health issues when it was in and out of facilities and hospitals, so she put Norma Jean into foster care slash she went and um, lived with her really good friend. And it was kind of this – she was basically just in and out. She got put in an orphanage at one point. And so, you know, there's always this feeling of abandonment, not worthy, not loved undertone to Marilyn. Yeah. And it starts here. And yeah, she lived with 12 different families. She was abused, neglect. There, you know, she was sexually abused multiple times. She was a beautiful, I mean, obviously she's beautiful, but even as a young child, if you see photos, she's just stunning. And so that kind of comes to the front of of her life is this, you know, treated as an object. A lot of foster care back in that day versus how it is now, where it's kind of a more like, oh my God, you're such a saint taking these kids in. And and I think there's still a lot of problems in the foster care programs and, and whatnot. I, I won't whatever. But um then it was more of a financial aid. People just did it because you could make an extra buck. And so they really did not give two shits about the kids yeah. majority of the time. But it's kind of there that, you know, later the real acting sparks in for Marilyn, but it was kind of her childhood experiences that made her want to become an actor first. And she quotes, I didn't like the world around me because it was kind of grim. When I heard that this was acting, I said, that's what I want to be. Some of my foster families used to send me to the movies to get me out of the house. And there I'd sit all day and way into the night up in front there with the big screen, a little kid all alone and loved it. And so movies immediately became her escape and be it, you know, she learned how to escape her real world by kind of, acting like it's fine and realizing that that's a way to escape that. And then also literally the movies, she watched everything she could and and fell in love with it. And so I think that's, you know, a huge, you're getting this romantic idea from a child who's escaping terrible home life. And that, 
could go one of two ways and, you know, unfortunately. But she she got married when she was 16 years old to a man named James Daughtry who was 21. And it was kind of like the family she was living with couldn't afford her anymore. She's a teenager now. And so it was more of a this will secure you or just marry this guy kind of a marriage. And he definitely was not into any idea um, of her modeling or having a performance job. Um, but he went off with the services and um, she started working at a – defense plant earning $20 a week. Ooh. Oof. Um, and a photographer discovered her there. That's kind of the first famous place that someone took a photo of her in the factory and was like, you need to be a model. And in 1945, she signs with the Blue Book Modeling Agency. It is then in 1946 that she divorces Daughtry because, again, it, she wanted to go live her career and he wasn't really into that. I do have here though when she first started modeling, according to Emmeline Snively, who is the agency's owner, Monroe quickly became one of its most ambitious and hardworking models. By early 1946, she had appeared on 33 magazine covers for publications such as Pageant, U.S. Camera, Laugh and Peak. And as a model, she would sometimes use the pseudonym Jean Norman. Okay. So now she's divorced. She's off modeling. And so now she kind of gets this, I want to go to Hollywood, you know, it goes hand in hand then. And she's already in LA. So in 1946, she signs a six-month contract for Fox. So at the time, I don't know if I've talked about this before in, the contra- or in uh, my podcast, previous episodes, but I- I'm really, I don't think they do anything like this today. But back in the day, Columbia, Fox, uh, whatever pictures were there, they would sign these girls onto contracts and they would typically be a standard six-month contract. And once you were contracted to say Fox, then if Paramount comes around and says, we want you for a movie – you couldn't or you'd have to get negotiation and get permission for them to put you on lease to then Paramount. And normally when you're on contract, you're not guaranteed a certain amount of movies, but you're kind of in the pool of their go-to for the chorus girls, the background, the, you know, and you kind of have to do what they want and your pay is kind of not going to be so great. But this is where um, she does change her name when she signs with Fox and she changes it to Marilyn Monroe. The name was picked because she reminded someone at Fox of the Broadway star Marilyn Miller. So they picked Marilyn, and then Monroe was her mother's maiden name. So that's where that comes from. And the first six months at Fox, you know, she really spent her time learning to act, sing, dance, observing everything she could to take in. And um, her contract was renewed in February 1947, and she was given some bit roles in the movie Dangerous Years in 47, Scoot-a-ho, Scoot-a-hey in 1948. And started also studying at the Actors Laboratory Theater and where she took in a lot of new techniques and this, that. And she says, my first taste of what real acting in a real drama could be, and I was hooked, was kind of what she experienced there. But a lot of her teachers said she was too shy and secure to have a future in acting, and Fox did not renew her contract um, when it came up in August 1947. So she returns to modeling and does the occasional odd jobs to – you know, keep it going and keep food on the table. So I always think it's funny when you get these big stars that, you know, the agent's like, you'll never make it and I'm not going to sign you. And then, you know, now they're these big legacies. And I'm like, oh God, I, w- I wish I could have that moment where that person's going, go <laughs> for letting them go. But <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right my fingers like Elsie um, Laurie. <laughs> one day someone will be saying that. <laughs> um, so she does, in March 1948, Columbia signs her. And this is where she had already dyed her hair blonde and was actually straightening at the time. But this is where then she goes platinum and they model her after Rita Hayworth is the look they're getting to. She then um, takes on her acting coach, Natasha 
Littis, I think it is, and is with Natasha until 1955. And Natasha is known to have caused some problems in the future. She'll disagree with what the director wants and this, but, you know, she kind of became very attached to her coach and dependent on her in a lot of, in a lot of ways. So she gets her first starring role in Ladies of the Chorus in 1948, but it doesn't do very well in the box office. So Columbia ends her contract. She goes back to modeling and she meets Johnny Hyde, who is the president of William Morris Agency. They become very good friends and she also becomes his mistress. But Johnny Hyde is, you know, from what I've read and kind of experienced through what the internet's left us and and different movies and whatnot, um, even though she was sleeping with him, he really was this first person in Marilyn's life that believes in her and supports her. And, you know, so Johnny I has so much to give. He negotiated a seven-year contract with Fox um, for her, which again, she's coming from these six-month contracts where they drop her. He also books her a bit role in All About Eve, 1950, which is one of my favorite movies Great with movie. Betty Davis. And that's where the famous line comes from, buckle your seatbelts, it's going to be a bumpy night. Um Love that line. And so she has a bit role in that. And then she's also has a, a small role in The Asphalt Jungle, 1950. So these are both more dramatic movies as well as she starts off. And then he gets the seven-year contract. Days after he negotiates that contract, Hyde dies. Um, and Marilyn's devastated because, again, I think Johnny's the first person in her life that really not only believes in her and supports her but fights for her and, and you know, gets these huge milestones of her career when it's just kind of been this – grabbing the rope and slipping down kind of a stride. So she does get some small parts and she gets praise from a lot of critics. And, you know, they, the New York Times describes her as superb in the movie As Young As You Feel. And the LA Daily News called her one of the brightest up and coming actresses. And so it's like the notoriety she's getting is that she's a good actress and up and coming and amazing at her work when, again, it goes back to that when we think back of her, we just think of dress blowing in the air and the whoo kind of vibe. But she really worked hard and and I wish she would get more of that kind of recognition again of being such a good actress. And even in the roles where she is kind of playing the dumb blonde, you have to remember that she's still acting. And so the reason we think of her as that is because she was so fucking good at it. Yeah. Like even in some like it hot, you know, they she would have to do so many takes. I mean, one line would take 30 to 40 times. And I I talk about it in the Some Like It Hot episode where, you know, Tony Curtis loses it on one set and this, that. But later Jack Lemon was in an interview and was just like, you know, she would it it she'd come late, didn't know her lines, this, that, but when she got it, what she did and what work she was providing was magic. And I agree. Yeah. I mean, and that's why she is who she is. But in early 1952, she starts a romance with Joe DiMaggio, who is one of the most famous sports figures of the time. He's a baseball player. So you could say that they like set the stage. They were the OG Tom Brady and Giselle Bunchen. Of course. That is exactly what you could say. Tom and Giselle like get original. But Joe actually asked one of his friends if he could kind of hook him up with a date. And they end up falling in love. Their romance goes so far as well as to them getting married. Marilyn, back um, a few years prior when she was just modeling and in between contracts, did pose for this calendar. And she posed nude because she felt comfortable with that photographer that she had worked with before. And it was kind of like, sure, I'll do it. I need money. But they come out now in 1952. You know, she's with Joe DiMaggio. She's had a couple 
critic acclaims and up and coming and those pictures re resurface. Oh, she had, she had filmed or shot them in 1949. So back in 1952, they, they kind of resurfaced. They kind of went more for damage control with the, you know, getting sympathy of like, I was a struggling actress and blah, blah, blah. But they actually ended up kind of helping her in the end. I mean, yeah, look at Paris Hilton and Kim Kardashian. They put out a sex tape and <laughs> they become huge sensations overnight. For them. Yeah. We should all definitely not film ourselves in the bedroom. I was going to say, we should all. And I was like, I don't, I don't want to see anybody. And I likewise. Okay. So anyways, Marilyn, she has <laughs> more movies. Clash by Night, Don't Bother to Knock, and We're Not Married. And they, they all, she just started doing really well at this point and, and getting more and more. Now, DiMaggio, I already start to say, did not necessarily like that fame he expected when they got married that he would then put her away in a house and she'd have kids and she'd be a home taker but come on dimaggio it's Marilyn monroe like what did you expect typical um he had a lot of jealousy problems and blah 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 so that's um yeah their their marriage was already kind of on the cusp if you will so she's starting to actually at this point, you know, getting more recognition and fame, but she started to gain her reputation to be difficult to work with. You know, she was starting to become late or wouldn't show up, couldn't remember lines, as I already said, but it's it's starting to kick in now. And and she really becomes dependent on her acting coaches. Um, she has a lot of that stemming from, of course, you know, her childhood's going to concrete these uh, factors in that she had a combination of perfectionism, low self-esteem, and stage fright, which – that sounds like every actor in Hollywood. But, you know, those are three major things to have to show up on set. Maybe not every, but those um, are difficult to deal with. And so to alleviate her anxiety, her chronic insomnia she was having, she started using barbiturates, amphetamines, alcohol, which, you know, of course, make your problems worse. But um, she actually didn't become severely addicted until 1956. Which is great. But at this point now, you know, she's doing really well. She's getting these bigger movie deals. 1953 is like be- becomes the it girl. And she makes Niagara in 1953, Gentlemen Prefer Blondes in 1953, and How to Marry a Millionaire. Yeah. Which... 1953, yeah, all in one. Like, we always talk about <laughs> musicians pumping out crazy, you know, like how many albums they pumped out in a year. But these are three of probably her top biggest movies is um, are those three. And so this is when she really, I feel like, instills in the public this sex bomb, dumb blonde. All three roles kind of have that trademark look, that trademark acting, um, and establishes it extremely hardcore in these. And even though it did her well, it, it kind of – then becomes another thing that she has to deal with is, is trying to get out of that realm and, and merry-go-round of these roles. But we will take a quick moment to talk about how much I love Gentlemen Prefer Blondes. Okay. Strapped in. She does play the dumb blonde in that. She plays Laura Lee and talk about a brilliant performance. You have to watch it. And instead of going, you do find yourself in moments going, oh my God, she's such a dumb blonde and just playing up the sex is that but you're like every choice she made it's her it's her acting choices and she's it is by far that's my second favorite Marilyn it's, movie I, of somebody I hot would, and that's why i was like we have to stop i would say the same um and and like gentlemen prefer blondes has 
some really, really iconic moments. I always think of um, the scene where she's singing in the gym with all the guys working out specifically. Oh, that's my favorite. Jane, it's Jane Russell. And the contrast between Jane Russell and Marilyn, well, Marilyn kind of has that light, same kind of thing I've been doing. Jane has that super more harsh. She plays Dorothy and uh, she's her best friend, her coworker, but she goes on to chaperone her on this trip to Europe and, you know, kind of the, let me get this straight, Gus. Nobody chaperones the chaperone. That's why I'm so right for this job. And she's out for all the men. Lorelai, played by Marilyn, is engaged. And so it's her fiance that is instilled her friend Dorothy to watch her as they go to Europe so she doesn't get into trouble. I, I, um, she does end up kind of falling into an older man. Not sexual. She's just using him to get the diamond she yeah. wants. And uh, But Jane Russell loves – there's a whole Olympic team on the boat. And she's like, which one do I want? Kind of uh, yeah. got all the men on my fingertips. And the, the song where they're training, yeah, she sings – Ain't there anyone here for love? Yeah. Oh, it's it's, it's amazing. Song. It's it such is a good one performance. I love I love Gentlemen Prefer Blondes almost exclusively because that yeah, scene is so good. But here's a sentence that I think is a beautiful representation of uh, Before My Time. Marilyn Monroe's rendition. This is straight from the wiki page for Gentlemen Prefer Blondes. Marilyn Monroe's rendition of Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend and her pink dress are considered iconic today. The pro- the performance has inspired homages from Madonna, Beyonce, Nicole Kidman, Margot Robbie, Anna Nicole Smith, Christina Aguilera, Ariana Grande, Rachel Bloom, and Miss Picky. <laughs> Which like Miss Piggy at the very end of the Let's finish it off with the Muppets. There we go. I was gonna say and Gelsey Laurie in her bedroom every year since she was seven. Actually, J- Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend was like my first dance solo I had in a dance. Really? Recital. Mm-hmm. I was in a pink little sequin leotard with a big boa. Love it. <laughs> Love it. Yeah, it's great. That's actually why I got into Marilyn Monroe is I think I said it in the Some Like It Hot episode, but I was in that. And so my dad was like, you have to watch the movie that song's from. And he messed up and rented Some Like It Hot instead of Jennifer for, for right. Blonde. So him and I t- together watched Some Like It Hot. And he was like, oh, I guess that song's not in here. But I was like, but I love this movie. And it was, I'm so glad he made that mistake because that's how that became one of my favorite movies that's perfect but then i just became i found a marilyn monroe cd and i killed it and i knew every word to every song they're not all great songs but you know when you're not i I wanted to check to see the context of uh miss piggy's rendition miss piggy has sang it twice (laughs) actually (laughs) on an episode oh of course on the episode of the muppet show she sang it with carol channing um and then on muppets tonight in the 90s uh she sang it with Whoopi Goldberg backed by penguins staging a similar choreography to the original film. <laughs> I need to YouTube that like right away. Okay. <laughs> Moving on. Um, there's a really famous Marilyn has her hands and feet at the Chinese Grammas Grauman's Chinese theater. Um, and there's a really famous moment that her and Jane Russell did that together and sauntered out in these really cute, I wish I owned them dresses and they lay them down, they get their heels off and they're kind of leaning over and their cleavage is hanging out. And it's when they put their hands in, it's really iconic, but it was right after making that movie that the two girls did that together. Yeah. And, um, and then she makes how to, how to marry a millionaire, which is another kind of gold digging plot, um, Betty Grable's in it, Lauren Bacall. It's it's a really fun movie, and and she plays another dumb blonde with with glasses. It's it's super cute. It's a really fun movie. But um, 
1953, Hugh Hefner put her on the cover. She really is like officially the sex symbol of everything and um, featured her on a cover and as a centerfold. Oh, in the first issue of Playboy, not only just Playboy, the very first issue of Playboy was Marilyn, but she did not consent to that publication. Um, And the cover image was a photograph taken of her at Miss America Pageant Parade in 1952. Um, and the centerfold was one of the 1949 nude photos. So I know it did get a little bit of a – there was a moment for her where it's kind of – people are making so much money off of these movie or pictures that she made, you know, maybe a nickel kind of a thing. I don't know how much she actually got off those nude, but it was next to nothing. And, uh, you know, that's that kind of already becomes – it comes with the territory of if you're going to present yourself that way. Sondra and Hollywood make an image that you are going to – become just that, just an image, just a thing to use, but it, it wears out. I have this conversation even today um, with a lot of friends as far as that, how much you feel like you're exploiting yourself and other people are exploiting you to what cause of your self-worth does that start fucking with? And this definitely is hitting hard for Marilyn Yeah, at this point. DiMaggio and her are married and she does some stuff, whatever. She goes to U.S. shows, performs in Korea. There's, there's. I don't go to every detail. Like I said, if we, if we hit everything and then go off tangents, like I do, we're never going to finish that. But, um, she does the Seven Year Itch, which I love that movie. I never knew. I watched it a little older. Now nah, I was a teenager, but, um, it's all about the Seven Year Itch. Is a concept of once you've been married for seven years, that's when it starts to kick in. That you get the wandering eye. That you know your wife's kind of a nag, and that the other woman is starting to be like, ugh, gotta fuck him, <laughs> basically. <laughs> and so this man is in New York and it would be very typical. It was kind of this, you know, the wife and kids go off for the summer because it's too hot and they go visit her family up in, you know, somewhere cooler and the man stays back and works. And so Marilyn is a neighbor of this married man who's home alone for a while. And it's kind of their relationship and she's this taunting, flirtatious not just woman, but idea and whatnot. And that's where we get the really famous Marilyn Monroe white dress blowing up from the subways from this movie. She goes over to the grades and is like, ooh, the train's coming. I love it. And then it blows up and stuff. So this image of that, you know, they had a huge billboard or not even billboard, like I forget how many feet. I mean, ginormous cutout of that image put up on a building in New York City when that movie came out and it's just all legs. And you got to remember this is still what, 19, what did I say? Was this 1954? No, 1955 where, you know, it's still as much as we do have, you know, lots of pinups and Hollywood and sex symbols. It's still the age of the proper housewife and dresses are more or less cut below our knees. And, but, um, this uh, this kind of starts the main rattle of Joe DiMaggio's marriage, specifically the dress flying up and that stunt. Like it really infuriated him, and he had crazy jealousy and controlling attitude, um, and also was a bit physically abusive to her. <laughs> Just side note, and- so <laughs> that doesn't help at all. And um, so Monroe filed for a divorce after only nine months of marriage because you know, and it was later that she opened up to friends that he had physically hurt Herod's as well, just because he was in too much of a rage. But, um, oh yeah, Billy Wilder, um, directed Seven Year Itch as well, who he is also the one that did. Some like it hot and uh, countless other, I mean, we, at some point we will do a whole just episode about Billy Wilder because he, 
the career that he had in a for at least about a decade or decade and a half is just like hit after hit after hit after hit after hit. It's a very We've already done double indemnity and some like it hot and in- yeah, it's an insane track record, honestly. Yeah, he's incredible. So we do have to hit him. But anyways, we're going to fast forward a little bit. She does some other movies. Things are great, blah, blah, blah. So she starts a relationship with Arthur Miller, um, who's a famous playwright. And he actually, this is kind of when, um, just side note, he wrote The Crucible, Death of a Salesman, A View from the Bridge. I mean, these are huge American classics. Um, he definitely was much older than she was. But, you know, they they started having a, a crazy affair and he still was not technically divorced from his previous wife. So they kind of kept that an affair until they were officially divorced and finalized. But he was um, investigated by the FBI for allegations of communism, which this is kind of when that Hollywood witch hunt was going on. Um, so their relationship led to the FBI opening a file on her. Yeah, this is crazy. So by the end of the year, Monroe and Fox signed a new seven-year contract because she started her own production company, Marilyn Monroe Productions. But she really didn't have – because she was kind of getting pissed off with the whole infrastructure of filming and this, that, and blah, 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 and um, consistently getting to play the dumb blondes and not getting what she wanted. But she couldn't fund any of her own projects, so she did sign a new – contract with them and Fox would pay her $400,000 to make four films and it granted her the right to choose her own projects directors and cinematographies but that's just insane like I know money is changing and there's inflation stuff but that is for four movies think about how much now actors are getting paid for one movie and she was like the number one girl that just blows my mind anyways so she marries Arthur Miller she starts making um some more dramatic roles like Bus Stop she was in, which is a great movie. The Prince and the Showgirl is when this happens, which that's Michelle Williams, My Day with Marilyn. There was a really good movie like five years ago or something, um, and it's kind of about the time period of her making The Prince and the Showgirl, and I thought she did a really good job portraying Marilyn as well. During this time, I kind of – she gets pregnant. So some doctors say that she had endometriosis, and that can be like another reason a lot of painkillers were given. But um, she did get pregnant, and a miscarriage a year later, um, a lot were linked to her endometriosis. And then she was also briefly hospitalized due to a barbiturate overdose. She went through a huge depression phase. When she was with Miller, they did split their time between New York City, um, Connecticut, and Long Island. So they mainly were on the East Coast. But she got um, – she returned to Hollywood in 1958 to star in Billy Wilder's Some Like It Hot. But I remember reading like right before that – you know, she is – and I'm not one to point this out. Like I do not agree with what I'm about to say, but it is something that is just kind of a – she's a little heavier in this movie than some of her previous films. And it's because she spent leading up to making this movie, she would just spend all day in bed. She had lost, she had had a miscarriage. She was super depressed about, you know, all these things that are very taxing on a woman's body and emotions. And, um, she was learning to play the ukulele, but she would just like not get out of bed for days, just sit, eat in bed, play the ukulele. And that was kind of her prep for the movie, probably drugging herself a lot. So she even notes herself like, oh, she hated how she looked in this film, but it just, you know, she's really not in a good mental place at this point. But I think this is one of her best performances of all times. I'm going to really get into Some Like It Hot. Go and listen to our episode on that. It's great. 
But after that, um, she took another hiatus until late 1959 um, when she started in the musical comedy Let's Make Love. So she gets to choose. Um, she chooses George Cougar to direct. Um, and Miller rewrote some of the script. Critics are not, you know, they kind of were like, ah, oh, it's lacking the old Mar- a Marilyn dynamicism. And it's like people, unfortunately, when you start giving people a one-track character, which a lot of actors talk about this problem. It's kind of, that's all that anyone wants anymore. They don't want to see you do other stuff. They just, people wanted Marilyn. She was up for uh, Breakfast at Tiffany's. Actually, I just read that and I didn't remember that. But it went to Audrey Hepburn because they were too scared that Marilyn would complicate the picture. You know, at this point, she's really not stable. Some like get hot. She was not doing well on this, that. So the last film she completed was The Misfits, and it was a really dramatic role. She played a recently divorced woman who becomes friends with the three aging cowboys who were Clark Gable, Eli Wallach, and Montgomery Clift. And this is um, where her and Miller's marriage was over, and she started a new relationship with the set photographer. It doesn't matter who that is. He's really not <laughs> significant. She's in LA and um, she's really kind of fallen apart. And she goes and um, has this, what do you call it, doctor, therapist. And uh, he plays a huge part. If you watched the documentary tapes like I was telling you, it's like him and his family were really there at the end. I just realized I lied. Sorry, The Misfits did get complete. It was Something's Gotta Give was her last movie that she did not get to the end at. But this is when kind of also the affairs with the Kennedys have started, been going on. They would come to LA a lot and to – different beach houses and kind of party. They weren't known as well on the West Coast. And this is where I recommend, again, these documentary or the the one documentary, the Unheard Tapes, because it shows a side of kind of I never really knew how they all got involved. And she was between John F. Kennedy, who they call Jack, and, and Bobby Kennedy. And, um, and this is when, you know, she has the famous Happy Birthday, Mr. President in her dress that is famously – was in a museum and Kim Kardashian just wore, which that's a whole thing. Let's not get into that. Like, get out of that dress, Kim. Get get out of the dress, Kim. It's not your dress. Anyways, she dies. Like, yada, 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 and she dies. That's true. I kind of was thinking, I was like, oh, we'll talk more about, like, the idea of her, and I just didn't give in to And I just watched a whole, like, two-hour documentary on basically, like, her last remaining year, and I forgot it all. You know, she really was falling into this terrible depression this you know this is where it gets really iffy is because she was pronounced dead at 4 25 a.m in her bed and it was her what do you call it housekeeper that found her but then there are a couple paramedics that have on file they're like no we went to her house and picked her up but it was like 2 a.m and they're like and she wasn't dead and they're like no she was still alive and then they proclaimed her that she dead on the way to the hospital. And so then once she was dead, they turned around, which like this would never happen. They turned back around and brought her body back to her bedroom and set her up face down. So there's a lot of, and then like the guy that was doing all the uh, research and interviews, like he would get a hold of people and they were like, look, I know stuff, but I can't say it. And like, at, like five people had these like, not, I, you know what? I, you just don't know what you're getting into. Like I, I can't go there. So it's very still that kind of was she murdered. Um, this is right after, you know, there could be some federal play into problems because she she not only had affairs with both Kennedy boys, but it was right before the atomic testing was going on. And there's recordings of her 
being in the room as they were talking about things that weren't supposed to get out or be talked about. And she was, you know, so it's kind of this whole like, um, and it's still not proven. They officially closed the case. I think it reopened in the eighties and they caused it, um, cause of death was by self and they didn't know if it was an accidental overdose or suicide, but I definitely think she was, had a high risk and maybe she did overdose, but maybe with the help of something or someone, it's the timing of everything and the way everyone's so sketchy about like, Ugh, I can't talk. And, and the one person saying, yeah, the first time we saw her was 4 a.m. And that's the first time anyone found her versus people going, no, we picked her up and she was on the way to the hospital. And then why they would take her back. She was buried. Um, she's at Westwood Village Memorial Park Cemetery, which Hugh Hefner was so obsessed with her that he bought the crypt next to her. And so they lie next to each other. I definitely think, obviously, she's left this legacy of being, I mean, Marilyn Monroe is Marilyn Monroe, this sex symbol, this, especially at that time, you know, it's in a sexual revolution. It's about to hit even more in the 60s. Icon, she's a a fantasy for sure, but it's this for both men and women on different aspects. But I think underlying the biggest theme of her is her tragedy and this struggle. I, I Today's awareness on mental health, like everything I've done on her, I'm just like, gosh, it's that's really what this all is, is just all these inner children not being healed and trying to find love, trying to find acceptance, trying to find self-value and worth. And that only just gets you pushed around from men to men, from pills to – Hollywood to critics to, you know, and it's, it, it ends up a tragic 36 year old dead. And it makes me really sad because I do think she had so much spirit and life in her and had so much desire and passion. And I think a lot of it just got kind of pushed aside because she was so sexy. It is mind blowing and heartbreaking how many original scripts are written every year but are never made. So we seek out these scripts and bring them to life with full audio production and professional actors. Check us out at Undiscover Scripts, movies made of paper, wherever you get your podcasts. Free. Gelsey, I have a really tough question to throw your way, actually. Mm-hmm. What do you think of all of these iconic moments of Marilyn Monroe? What do you think is the most iconic Marilyn Monroe moment. I'm going to say the dress going up with the subway. Okay. I, yeah, I think that that's definitely in there. Yeah. You know, there was just this giant building size cutout of her on a building at that time with it. You know, it's like, yeah, the Mr. President, yeah. Diamonds are girls best friend, the nude photos when she was younger uh, with the red fabric behind her. Like those are pretty iconic, but I think that one, I mean, even if you go to universal studios today, their walk around lookalike character is in the white dress. You see any Las Vegas Boulevard, Hollywood Boulevard, you know, anyone that's like, Ooh, it's a Marilyn. They're in the white dress, just like Elvis is in the white suit. No, okay. I was going to say it's either that or to me, the happy birthday, Mr. President is maybe the I only thing. I think this one thing. trumps it. Yeah. I think you're you right. You don't see her walking around in the gold dress if someone's like playing her. That's no, you 100%. Uh, if someone thinks that we're totally off base though, and that there's a far more iconic uh, Marilyn Monroe moment, where can they uh, let us know of our, our complete failure as podcast hosts? 
Yeah, please let me know how much I failed on Instagram at before my time <laughs> underscore podcast, or you can find us on Facebook. Just search in before my time, we'll pop up right on our wall. DM us, say hey, say ho, say you fail. You know, we're here for it. I'll take it. And while you're here, why don't you just give us a little review? It helps us out a lot, helps us reach larger audiences who love things that happen before our time, just like yourself and I. Thanks for tuning in. See you next time. Bye. <laughs> We're making an ad. Napping yeah. ads. This is where I think if we're doing it right, Alec Baldwin comes in. He says a couple things. Mm. He listens to the podcast every week. Yep. Has he been canceled? Wait, is Alec Baldwin the one who killed somebody? I hear that Gary Sinise is free. Oh, okay, great. He hasn't worked since 2020. <laughs> so um, what would be the script that we would have Gary Sinise say for the Napping Through Happy Hour podcast? Listen to this damn show. Damn it. The Napping Through Happy Hour podcast brought to you by Geekscape. Real life, real drama, real time. I'm Gary Sinise. That's the ad. That's the ad. That's the ad. You're listening to the Geekscape Network. 